Hello and welcome to the Marks Ish Brothers podcast. My name is Joseph. I am Cam. Uh, and this week we're talking about the Alfred Hitchcock movie Rear Window. But before that, we've got a bit of news to talk about. Uh, Cam, I believe you had an article that you want to discuss. Yeah, so uh, Variety shared an article and a cover story um, about the current state of Marvel. Um, all, all that's kind of going on there. It's not all great, and like some like some scoopers have kind of debunked some things. Some some of the big things like are Jonathan Majors, who is who was cast as Kang a few years ago. He showed up a few times and throughout MCU things, um, just because of ongoing legal issues. Um, he is probably not coming back. But mm-hmm. instead of recasting, they're like, oh, let's pivot to Doctor Doom. But they hadn't even, even introduced the Fantastic Fantastic Four yet. And doing Doctor Doom without the Fantastic Four is probably not the best idea. Does seem a little strange, yes. Um, yeah, there's also some things I don't love, like critiquing uh, Nia DaCosta for starting pre-production on something while the while post-production for the Marvels was happening. It's pretty common practice to do, to do, to do that as a director. Like once you're once you're done production. And like, because like, there's not much that directors directors do in post post production, especially in like in a Marvel like situation. Mm-hmm. It's mostly Ken Feige and other heads that are in charge of post production. So it was kind of remembering at her, but like, it's not like that's pretty common practice. Like James Gunn does it all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like he, like the the Justice League cameo at the end of um, Peacemaker was shot while he was doing. Pe- pre-production for Guardians 3 mm-hmm. because he before Peacemaker was done done post-production he had already started pre-production on Guardians uh, on the whole sorry on the holiday mm-hmm. special I should say um, like again it's a pretty common thing to do mm-hmm. so it, yeah I, I, I love that, that that part but like talks about like that I'm already talking about bringing back ScarJo and RDJ for Avengers 5 and like just just panic move right of like okay like somewhere in the pudding they got lost in the shuffle she hulk mm-hmm. having a budget of 225 million including episodes costing 25 million which is more than game of thrones biggest episode ever wow yeah <laughs> like there's so much mismanagement and like yeah i wonder why aren't doing hot when when you're spending that much money on like a mediocre show Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like it it, 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 it goes to prove the point that maybe just throwing a bunch of money at stuff doesn't mean that you're gonna make a lot of money back. Yep, exactly. Um, I think our next we could. Uh, do you have anything else to say? Because I, I have a good segue. Uh, I don't. So take it away. Okay, really good segue. Um, speaking of making things that are that, that are really good and really beautiful on the cheap, a new Planet of the Apes movie is being released uh matt reeves is famous it, it, they call it the the, the, the reeves trilogy he just did two and three um number one was done by rupert wyatt um rise dawn and war for the planet of the apes mm-hmm. it's one of my, my favorite trilogies of all time um also the planet of the Apes series goes back to the 60s including the the original book by pierre bull mm-hmm. and obviously the movies the first one is starring charlton heston and so on and so forth roddy mcdowell kim hunter 
all that jazz. Yeah, those those original ones were some of the first movies that you and I uh, bonded over. Oh yeah, we we bonded over not being mature enough to like like the, the ending of uh, the of the second Planet of film. I thought it was stupid, but <laughs> well, um, we, oh. we 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 enjoyed it. We had a good time with it. Oh, it, it was great. I was like, why would they do this? Then I'm like, okay, I'm just just stupid dumb kid. But yeah. uh, but but it's fun. We we found all those movies at the thrift store. And we were. Just uh, had a good yeah. time watching them on the on the VHS player. So yep. uh, uh-huh. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how because uh, like that trilogy like felt so like wrapped up. So it'll be interesting to see how it uh, progresses. Yeah, so it sounds like it's following either Caesar's son or a further descendant because like the apes are t- talking like normally now. Like even mm. like in war, there, there was they could they, they have like semi conversations. And they could like you know sign language. Sign, well. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very curious. And like some of the design d- designs have changed. Like now the orangutan guy looks closer to like Doctor Zeus or Doctor Zeus or um, <laughs> had to um, or like or like the Paul Giamatti from 2001 type one instead of the wider faced uh, Maurice from the trilogy. So yeah, I'm curious. It's, it's not Matt Reeves doing the, this um, one. It's Wes Ball, who is the director of the Maze Runner trilogy. Okay. I haven't watched those, but... Um, I know Irma it, really likes the first Maze Runner movie. Okay. I've heard that um, like it's pretty... Like, the first one was pretty good for like a YA adaptation. Right. But uh, I haven't seen it, so I, I can't be a judge. Yeah, me either. So when I heard that it was Matt Reeves, I was like, ah, I'm not sure, but like, it looks good, and it's following in, in its footsteps. Clearly, they're keeping the same 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 designs, but also it's closer closer to that like '60s era timeline where humans are kind of becoming mute. You know, also mm-hmm. you, see, you see ties to that in in the third one. Is Andy Serkis involved with this one at all? I, I no he's he's not the lead character. I'm pretty sure he's he's like still like doing like some consulting. Okay. But um, I think Owen Teague is the lead lead actor for not mm-hmm. Caesar but the main ape. Are they still doing like the motion capture sort of yeah. stuff? Okay. Yeah, everything still performing capture. It looks really good. Like I'm I'm not sure the the budgets of of this film, but I, I, I don't, even the budgets for like one, two, and three of of the new ones were pretty cheap. Like hmm. like they were like they, they were they were, they were shockingly low. Like like. I think all under two two hundred million, which when you have that much performance capture, obviously it just shows you how good they were with, with pre production and like storyboarding. Because like if you know what you're shooting with for performance capture, you don't you don't have to shoot a lot. Yeah, exactly. Therefore you, therefore, you don't have to animate a lot. Therefore, it saves so much so much so much time and money. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I think uh, I'm just reading it here. It's supposed to come out May twenty fourth, twenty twenty four. So. Uh, only six six months. Yeah, that's pretty soon. It'll be a pretty good sci-fi year. If we're getting Dune, we're getting this. I don't know. It'll be pretty good. Oh, yeah. um, I, can't, I can't wait. Speaking of uh, movie releases and you know <laughs> the reason for them being delayed, uh, SEG after uh, responded to the studio's latest offer, and they're going to meet on Friday. So. Uh, the AMPTP, so the employers improved on minimum salaries and on the bonus structure, but okay. they did not budge on the uh, revenue streaming. Um, so they're going to, you know, like the the union's going to discuss this and see if it's good enough. Uh, the strike has been going on for 105 days, which is quite a long strike. Well, and yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It. it it's good to see that like the employers are budging on some things, but um, 
I, well, I feel so like the revenue streaming thing uh, is kind of a long shot. Yeah. And they're kind of just using that as leverage just for the numbers to be released on streaming shows, because yeah. uh, which I think would be a good thing. So I'm interested to see what becomes of this. So, yeah, that's just a little bit of, of the, the strike news. Not a whole lot. A lot of it's happening you know, behind closed doors. It's not super uh, public right now. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Sorry, uh, I, have one, I have one more thing to add. Well, yeah. sorry, not but a different newest thing. Um, Kino Lorber is launching a streaming, a streaming service. I was just going to mention that. That was actually going to be my segue, so thank you. <laughs> Great minds <Great>. think alike. <laughs> uh, which is interesting because, you know, we've been seeing that a lot of streaming services have not been doing well. Yeah. Uh, but this is, it's not going to be like a streaming service, like a platform all by itself. It's going to be an add-on for uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime yeah. So... You know, same as like you have like stars or Hollywood Suite or something like that, yeah. which is, it, 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 which makes a lot more sense, right? Like it's mm. going to be like an extra five ninety nine, but yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I mean, you're seeing a lot of these like Kino uh, uh, Lobber, like they're uh, like a big Blu-ray distributor, right? Yeah, and uh, you've seen like more and more Blu-ray and like physical media companies going into the streaming route right like uh like criterion channel obviously like one of the biggest ones like with like the criterion collection being widely considered like the best preserver of movies but now they have a streaming service or now like it's a kino lober or like even uh shout and scream factory has a channel on uh tubi so it's interesting to and well for you and me who you know we like physical media it's uh it's interesting to see that all these physical distributors are turning to streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, on on one side, it's good because it, it democratizes movies and it gives access to movies to everyone. But then on the other side, you know, like we saw with uh, the French Connection and stuff, these companies can just change things on movies, and yep. uh, they can take movies off the streaming service. Then obviously, you don't have access to it, and so. It's it's interesting. Um, it worries me, like to if we ever come to a world where there's no physical media. Uh, yes, because you know, um, even if you're not just buying it, but even just like being able to buy it at, or getting it at a library or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think having like a physical thing that can't be changed really yeah. is important. Um, well- yeah, and like I think that like they're just kind of doing this for an, an added revenue stream, right? Like it's not like they're going to stop doing physical media. No, but like it, it could like if it's really successful and Blu-ray sales like keep on falling, then yeah. maybe they'll be like, well, maybe we'll just you maybe we won't re- release this movie. We'll just put it on streaming instead, and like right. slowly over time it disappears. But yeah. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully not. But yeah, we'll see. Um. So uh, another big uh, movie or movie, a big movie that's coming out that you know is interesting in terms of strike news is like the Hunger Games prequel, yes. uh, the Battle of Songbirds and uh, Snakes, uh, got an interim agreement with SAG-AFTRA, which means that like it can be uh, promoted, which is really interesting because that's like a big budget movie. Yeah. And uh, like it's from Lionsgate, right? Like that's a that's a big company. So um. A little disappointed by that the union would do this because it kind of yeah uh, weak, I, it weakens their position right like by being like Meh, if you 
you get an intern. You get an intern. You get an intern. It, it, it makes the strike worth a lot less if you can just you know pay the uh, pay like if you pay the people for that one movie yeah. that you know is going to make lots of money, then it can get promoted. So like it ends up just being like a business decision. So you know they're being yeah. solidarity across all movies. So. Yeah. Uh, that kind of disappoints me and makes me upset. But what are your thoughts on, on yeah, that? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I know, like Rachel Zegler has been pretty open about the strike and support, like being a very vocal supporter of SAG and being. She's one of the most popular actresses right now for a reason, right? Like, well, she's she steals the show in West Side Story. I mean, she's the lead actor. You'd hope so, but like she does. She's just a solid performer, and obviously, like she has the Snow White coming down the drain, with um, actually that the kid. That was direct, direct, being directed by, by Mark Webb. I mean, written by Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. No wait, I, I saw, I saw, and I'm like, what? That's who it's being done by. It, it should be a good movie. Like, I'm excited yeah. to see it. But like the fact that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not angry that the movie is made or anything. Yeah. I'm, oh, wait, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm mad at the the union saying, yeah, you can promote it. Is what I'm yeah. saying. Uh, yeah. Oh, me too. I I rather. Zagler keep, keep, keep spending her time like being, being vocal about Zag. I'm sure she will as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously the other performers and actors, but yeah, it's a little scourging. But I'm curious how that one's going to do a box, box office wise. But. Yeah. Uh, another sort of interesting news and like topical news thing that uh, I, I want just to discuss is uh, so this was on IndieWire. Yeah. So Dan Gordon is a is a writer, and he uh, is kind of voicing his distaste for uh, WGA and. Uh, I've heard like this from a few other like people is that uh, a lot of the people are upset that WGA isn't being as supportive of Israel in like the Israel Palestine sort of uh, thing that's happening right now, which is just a really sad thing. Like I, I don't know <laughs> what you have to say, but I'm pretty staunchly pro Palestine. And yeah, in, in I'm this. always gonna. I'm, I'm always gonna, when it comes to settler colonialism, I'm, I'm always gonna be on the side of the oppressed, right? Yeah, it's, and I don't think like, it's anti-semitic to no because I, like like I, even jewish people are saying this is a fascist government that is yeah doing settler colonialism and i think it's pretty inarguable if you just look at it to not see the settler colonialism and like idf is even hiding what they're doing like, even like the like, u.s I'm hides not, it more than they do like the 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 idf yeah. is bragging about murdering palestinians yeah and even like so like cnn like like it was an idf guy talking to wolf blitzer Mm-hmm. And he kind of just talks about like just blowing up like refugee camps and yep. buildings, killing killing civilians. It, it's just terrible stuff. And like, but like, there's clearly a bad like of, like okay, again, Hamas not great, but like, but also like you can understand where they're coming from. Like if yes. you're if your like, country has been taken over and you want to defend it, like it's understandable. Like it's I'm not, not like I'm Hamas not, is going to like, I'm not going to support killing civilians, but no. like, I also understand where they're coming from. And like having IDF be continually killing them, killing civilians, isn't going to like de-radicalize anybody. Because like, if you're in the Gaza strip and yep. you're seeing your family get killed for no reason, yep. uh, your choices are to either just keep on getting killed or die trying to defend the people that you love. <laughs> and like you're you're going to die either way. And I think a lot of people in Gaza like they're they're or like people who join Hamas, their thought process is if I'm going to die anyways, I might as well take out some of the people who are doing the killing. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Which a, you, you have to you have to look at the material conditions that these people are living under 
uh, in order to understand where they're coming from. And, like, you have to understand the conditions that cause, like, these radical groups to emerge, right? Like, they don't come out of nowhere. It's not like one day a bunch of people are like, you know, why don't we just start killing uh, killing people? No, it's, it's, yeah. it comes from, from a background. So it, yeah, it's, exactly. it's disappointing that, you know, actors and, and writers want their union to support this government that is so obviously not good and you know fascist adjacent if not like outright fascist it's nice to know which actors and stuff i shouldn't be supporting amy schumer uh just spreading hatred well it's sad like a lot of people like like, even like jordan peele has signed letters like yes uh, i think so so many people are afraid of being anti-semitic or being seen as as uh, being anti-semitic that they will just so, like they, they just blindly were like oh israel they're the good guys when yeah. i don't know like there's no state that i will ever blindly say is good i think some states will do good things but ultimately i think the state isn't great i think as like a marxist who yep. uh, like marx believed that you know <laughs> when communism comes the state will be gone like the state will have no power yeah so uh, like as a marxist i don't think any leftist or marxist should you know, blindly say a state is good. So it's it's very worrisome when you see these yeah. big, powerful people just kind of blindly, yeah. blindly follow like, <laughs> something. Lenin also wrote some some good things on on on, on the state and revolution. Like it's not, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, something. Anyways, <laughs> that, that's where we stand on that. But why don't we yep. get into rear window? Why don't you give us some uh, fast facts for us, Cam? All right, so Rear Window is a 1954 American mystery thriller film directed by Alfred Hitchcock, written by John Michael Hayes, based on a short, short, short story. It had to be, it had to be murder. Uh, stars John James Stewart, Grace Kelly, Randall Corey, Thelma Ritter, and Raymond Byrne. Ray, Raymond Burr, I should say. Um, uh, budget of one million dollars. Uh, gross thirty-seven million dollars. That's a thirty-seven to one uh, profit. So it's pretty good. Well, there you go. Yeah, this is a really good movie. I mean, this this film has a kind of a special place in I think both of our hearts. We we watched mm-hmm. this uh, together one Halloween. I think uh, I want to say twenty fifteen was it like around there? That makes sense in, in high school for sure. Yeah, it was uh, a Halloween watch. We were we were like we want to watch something a little spooky, but we're not not, not full on a horror because we're we're kind of scaredy cats in that sense uh, <laughs> at that at that time and place. Yep. And so we're like, yeah, this looks pretty good. You know, it's from the fifties; won't be too too scary. And I think we both fell in love with it at the time. And like the uh, Planet of the Apes movie, this was another sort of cinematic bonding experience uh, for us. But uh, yeah, do you yeah. have anything to add to, to my little uh, nicety before we get into yeah, yeah. meat and potatoes? Yeah. It's good cinema. Like it, it was nominated for four Oscars. It uh, it's it's number forty two on AFI's hundred years hundred movies list. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure where it would be on or if it's on the Sight and Sound at all. But mm-hmm. it yeah. probably it, it could be. I'm or pretty sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a solid. It's a solid flick. It, it's pretty high on the Letterbox Top Two Fifty. Um, it's great in terms of like a single single location film like the entire movie is like obviously it takes place in an apartment complex but it's entirely shot from one apartment yeah like and i'm gonna get into this more because this is definitely there's a lot of uh scholarly and academic work that uh is based off of this film 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, just kind of kick that off and kind of get you going the, the, this in your mind. It's a, we are put in uh, like Stuart's pl- uh, place. Like we are, we are invited in uh, yep. with him uh, as a, a voyeur of uh, the, the neighbors. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is definitely a, a very uh, voyeuristic film, but yeah, uh, keep on going. Yeah, like and he and like, and like he's he, he's definitely peeping. Like like if you, if you look at like him ogling uh, Miss Torso and like he's he, that's the only person who he's like ogling. Like, like he, he talks about wanting to do things with with her. She's she's, she's a very uh, attractive woman, fair. Like commenting on like Mrs. Lon- Lonely Hearts and the pian the pianist and the married couple mm-hmm. and that older couple with a dog. Like it's so like. Yeah, like just looking, just getting to see a, bit, a little, little glimpse in, into people's lives, and then they, people feel so real. Like, mm-hmm. like they, they feel like they, they, they could, you can see them in real life, right? Like it's. Yeah, and like it, it is very like dollhouse esque. Like you can mm-hmm. almost have like a a cut through the the building where you can just kind of see what everyone's doing. Um, you're seeing like all these like little scenes, these little vignettes of the yeah. people in the neighborhood. And uh, I think what, what is kind of interesting is it's almost showing how we as humans, despite like what capitalism tells us, we're not really truly just individuals living our own lives. We are interconnected whether we like it or not. Cause like, yeah under capitalism especially like neoliberal uh, capitalism we're kind of sold like it's just you and your family versus the world right like it's it's the nuclear family and uh you know nothing else really matters all that matters is money and like your immediate family and yep. this this film kind of shows that no like like we are connected like uh whether you like it or not you know there's people around you and and what happens to them affects your life too and i thought that was kind of a interesting i don't think that's necessarily uh uh, a purposeful kind of uh, Hitchcockian idea, but I definitely drew that from this movie. Yeah, how many um like like how many other Hitchcock films have you have you watched? Uh, at least three. Okay. Uh, let, 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 me, let me look on Letterbox real quick. I I've seen this one. I've seen Psycho. Psycho's good. Uh, I've seen one. Rope. Um. Yeah. And I'm not sure. Other than that, let me check. Uh, how about you? Okay, um, um, I watched uh, North by Northwest um, in in school. I watched Psycho a, couple, a, few, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched The Lodger, which is his first one, um, on Criterion Channel a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. No, no, that was that was my first watch this year. Actually, I think. Um, it's kind of like it, it, that one's silent. Like his first films were si- were silent, and that was just the era that he, that he was working in. Mm-hmm. Um, also, also of course, he has a cameo cameo in it, and he. Uh, it's kind of told like, like it's it's like, it's, it's like a kind of a Jack the Ripper story, but like we, we don't know if the person that we're following is Jack the Ripper or not. It's really weird. Classic Hitchcock, <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh man, this is like so ahead of its time. This, this, this is the '30s with like an unrivaled narrator and. Like a good twist and murder, and it's it's great. I the Lodgers, the Lodgers, like a great first watch. Obviously, mm-hmm. not everyone does does silent film as well, watching or making, hmm. but like it's a good watch. Pretty short too. Good, yeah, good runtime. So. 
Uh, I'm uh, going back to the ones I've seen. I've also seen uh, Suspicion, which is amazing. Cary Grant is amazing in it. Uh, at first, you think it's just like a, a nice little love story, and then you're like, I don't know, is it a, a love story? That's all I'll say because otherwise I'll spoil it. But it's very good. Cary Grant's amazing in it. Uh, I've seen Dial M for Murder, which is a lot yes. of fun. That one I've seen too. That one, that one's great. Another one's Grace Kelly one, uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, I've also seen Shadow of a Doubt, which is uh, amazing. Really interesting seeing like a an uncle niece relationship in a movie. You don't see that oftentimes, yeah. and uh, it's it's quite uh, well made. And I think that is it that I've seen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to what you were saying about the unreliable narrator, mm-hmm. uh, I remember the first time that we saw this movie. I, I definitely thought that uh, Jimmy Stewart's character was an unreliable narrator, yeah. um, at least for parts like uh, when we first meet uh, Grace Kelly's character, Lisa, it's a very weird emergence of her. Yeah. Like, like she kind of is just in his apartment yeah, uh, and then she goes in for a kiss and the kiss is like slow motion. Yeah. Which just like it feels like a dream, and I remember the first time uh, we watched this, I was like, "Is is Lisa real?" <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then you know, eventually, you're like, "Oh yeah, like she's hanging with Stella. Stella is like a very like real character." Um, yeah. But at first, you're like, "Is he?" Because uh, like when he's first suspicious that uh, the wife has been murdered uh, across the the back lane, um, you like. You're also suspicious, and then he falls asleep, and then you see uh, a lady leaving with, um, well, what's his name, uh, Mister Freeman, or yes, Thorwald. There we go. The, uh, yeah, because you see Thorwald leaving with a woman. So you're like, oh, is is that uh, is that his wife, or is he is he a reliable narrator, or well, <laughs> like who knows what's going on? But yeah. uh, so I think that Hitchcock plays with that idea because he, he, you know, if you've seen his other movies, you're like. Maybe he is like using an unreliable narrator, but mm-hmm. and, and since you're like invited into uh, LB Jeffrey's place, like it's almost more satisfying when he's trying to convince people that what he's seen is real. Yeah. And uh, I found that to be you know quite interesting. The, the movie really picks up when he convinces um, Stella and Lisa. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's about the 440 minute mark. Where he's like, "Hey, this is happening." Like that, that, like when, like when, when, when they buy into it, then it clicks, and then they're working together trying to figure out how they're going to catch them and how they're going to do it. And like, it's also just seeing seeing Grace Kelly just parkour up a fire escape in a dress <laughs> is just one of the things that, like, you know, you don't you don't think about needing to, to see that. Grace Kelly is is wild. Like, she's a very impressive person. She yes. made like forty-five movies in six years, yeah, and then she bonkers. She retired at twenty-six to become a princess of Morocco. I'd love to see it, but then she died at a very young age. I think around fifty of a car crash, which is quite sad. But very, very sad. Uh, one of the greatest actors of all time, I would say, just in her impact and the amount of movies that she was in. She's in like what a good presence, right? Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, Hitchcock has a thing for for blondes. He's a bit of a creep. He's He's really the Tarantino of his time, of making solid <laughs> films, but also just being a creep. Um, also, yeah. he's dead. He's <laughs> he, dead. You're not, you're not supporting anyone's legal fund against him. You can watch his movies with a pretty clean conscience, right? Like, it's... Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, he's a very weird guy. And, like, just seeing his things kind of flow into into his film. Like, I mean, like, with Chris Kelly, 
You don't need you don't need, need a shooter to, 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 for her to be the most beautiful person in any room because she already is that. Mm-hmm. Like, so what do you yeah. think of uh, LB Jeffries and Lisa's relationship? Um, I'm curious how how they met. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like, it's, I think it's through the magazine, right? Like, uh, it looked oh, like yes. he had taken uh, the headshot for uh, the magazine that she was a part of, right? Okay, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. at the very start, you see like the negative, and then right beside the negative yes. is a stack of magazines, right? Right. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming that's how they met, but yeah. So like, Again, like, like, so, so some things are like they don't tell you, and that, and, that, and that's good. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you're supposed to like. Again, people to talk about, like how cinema now is like keys jamming in, in front of you, and like there's no like audience having having to like think or or, or can theorize something. And now now it's just all in, all in front of you on a plate. Like sometimes like me only guess and like see things is for, for yourselves and audience interpretation is a pretty cool thing. Yeah, and well, this is this is where I'm going to dive into some academia. Oh yeah, are 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 you ready? Uh, <laughs> so ready as I'll ever be. So one of the most famous film essays of all time was written by uh, Laura Mulvey. Uh, it's called "Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema" from 1975. Uh, so this is the essay that basically coined the term male gaze. And uh, this film is referenced in that essay. And uh, so basically, she uses uh, psychoanalytics, which, or uh, uh, psychoanalysis, sorry, Uh, analytics, psychoanalysis, which is, you know, in our current day is seen as very sexist. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like it's, uh, it was kind of created or coined by uh, Sigmund Freud. And it's basically like, uh, like a lot of like uh, phallus and uh, castration anxiety, that kind of a thing. Yeah. And basically, uh, Laura uh, Mulvey was like, "This movie is and like old cine, like old Hollywood, is a basically a perfect example of looking at uh, the male gaze." And she uh, said, like, basically, uh, psychoanalysis, even though it is coming from uh, a male perspective, it can be uh, taken over by feminism and uses a tool to critique the very thing that it helped create which is you know the patriarchy yeah uh and so uh let me just read you a little bit of what she uh what both she and also uh dr uh, walsh wrote i'll have these all linked up in uh, uh the show notes but um here's a little quote uh, uh, although at first uh jeff james stewart uh, has his back turned to the window uh, the preceding sequence uh, invites the audience to watch the events unfolding from his window, positioning the viewers to voyeuristically engage with Jeff's surroundings even when he's not. This immediately establishes the gaze of the audience, both as an independent voyeur and an occupant of Jeff's space, creating a sense of identification with the male protagonist. Once Jeff is on the phone, he gazes out the window, returning to the same voyeuristic vantage point at the beginning of the scene. In both the gaze of the audience and Jeff's, the woman across the way, the scantily clad in the privacy of her home, dances and stretches as she moves around her room. The provocation of these actions only comes from her cinematic treatment, the fact that she is unknowingly being watched. The gaze is what sexualizes her. This exemplifies the bifold act of of looking that Mulvey identifies, where both the male character and the audience participate equally. Uh, now, this is uh, Mulvey uh, speaking directly from uh, the essay. Uh, Hitchcock's skillfully, skillful use of identification processes 
and the liberal use of the subjective camera from the point of view of the male protagonist draws the spectators deeply into his position, making them share his uneasy gaze. The audience is absorbed into, an, into a voyeuristic situation uh, within the scene and uh, I guess uh, which parodies his own in the cinema. So basically, uh, <laughs> kind of what this is saying is we as an audience are, you know, we are voyeuristic in watching cinema. So uh, this mm-hmm. uh, this kind of the, this is a film theory uh, is basically that uh, cinema is voyeuristic, and uh, you know how you say like we're kind of, sort of like dropped into this movie. In a way, we are voyeurs, and like we're being the peeping tom in this uh, circumstance. Uh, have you ever heard of, uh, well, I'm sure you've heard of male gaze, but have you heard of like Mulvian kind of this uh, philosophy or this uh, theory of uh, the male gaze? No, yeah. I haven't like read that much into it. I know, I know people kind of throw male gaze, male gaze around whenever there's a male protagonist now. Like whenever, like I feel like people talk about with, with like modern Bond or with modern, like any kind of like, Male protagonist that has sex is people to talk about how that's how that's male gazy in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, and so, yeah. like how Mulvey says is like that. There's there's three looks of uh, the male gaze. So there's the camera. Yep. There is the audience. So that's us. And then there's also the characters okay. in the movie, right? Yeah. Uh, so in this circumstance, uh, I think it's very easy why she uses that. At, like uses rear window as uh, as an example of that, but in a way, I find that uh, this movie almost like it, it feels like it's in conversation with it, and almost challenges it. But I just want to, uh, do you have anything to say on that before I, I move into that? Yeah, like I can see why they'd use the, this movie as an, an example for it because, like, obviously, obviously, we see through the camera a lot. Of, like, a large film is that we, that we're seeing is through the camera. Mm-hmm. In different people's apartments, seen Mister 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 Thorwald, and seen whatever. Um, but yes, yeah, so I definitely agree with that. I think. Or no, oh, sorry, I can I can see why they'd use the, this movie as an example for that. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, Stella has a, a good line when she you know asks for the camera and says, "Give me that portable peephole," right? Yeah, uh, where like we're kind of invited to all be the the male gaze in that circumstance, even if we are women, right? Um, so basically, the the challenging that I say that this movie does, even though this was a uh, movie was made before the essay, is so there's a scene where uh, so going back, movie. Uh, says like in like classic Hollywood, the male gaze uh, of the characters in the movie usually happens when there's like a break from the narrative where the people in the movie basically ogle a woman uh, and that interrupts the plot. And and then we have to be like brought back into the plot Um, and where the ogling basically interrupts the, the flow of the story where I think that this movie challenges that idea is there's almost a moment where we're supposed to ogle Lisa, right? Like uh, she changes into her pajamas. She goes into like that sort of more sultry, like like this this should be like a, a, a sort of like a sexualizing moment. But then the action is actually what uh, kind of interrupts us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like she's about to, you know, be kind of sultry. We're supposed to like have the male gaze on her uh, as the essay would uh, argue. Mm-hmm. But then we hear a scream and that's when the dog's been murdered. 
So I th- I think and there's been like some critiques of of Mulvey's uh, uh, male gaze interpretation, but I, I I thought that this was a, a very interesting movie to discuss. That uh, do you have any thoughts on on that? Yeah, like, I I think like and like Roman Roth's supposed to like like everything everything that Jeffries does. Like he is being he is being a creepier. I'm like we're not. Well, and that, that's that's another thing why uh, I think that this does a good job challenging it is because the male gaze isn't just of women. It's also, so basically it's what do men want to be and what do they want women to be is the male gaze. Yeah. In this, Jeffries isn't an admirable person, right? Like, no. he, he like <laughs> Stella early no. on is like, you, you can't get hard, basically. She's like, you have a, a hormone deficiency because you can't get hard looking at women or anything. Uh, early on, when he's tr- like, you know, when there, there should be like a romantic scene, he can barely kiss Lisa, and she's like this gorgeous woman, and yeah. who who he can't get up for, who he can't. So th- this goes back into the voyeurism and kind of like, uh, almost like a like a, a sadistic uh, kind of idea where he can he starts to get more attracted to Lisa once he's seeing her through the window or through his camera in like a voyeuristic way. Like the first time that we yeah. hear him call her dear is over the telephone, not not in person, but through the telephone. I think that's in a way how Hitchcock seems to be, I think, critiquing the 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 era that he was in, which you know is is fair now, and almost like a critique of of mass media and how like mass media is a sort of voyeuristic uh, thing. What, what what do you think of of my my thought there? Sorry, I missed part of. Um... Like uh, oh uh, about like, sorry about mass <laughs> sorry media? Uh, uh, about uh, mass, uh, mass media being voyeuristic or about yes and, and like how uh, this is kind of like a not sure a, a critique but kind of like a like we are all voyeurs so who are we to critique voyeurism right yeah it's like yeah I, I feel that like sometimes in the news like we can almost get too like not involved but like too. Like, again, you can bring up Israel-Palestine of, like, we're just kind of being flooded with th- with things and, and different people's point of views. And, like, obviously it's not, like, not every point of view that, that we're hearing is, is a good one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely follow, follow that. Well, and also, like... Let's say our obsession with true crime is yes, right? Yes. Like, like where we're so obsessed with, you know, what's happening to other people that are dead, and you know, <laughs> or like might like have been at some wronged something wronged about uh, to them that we don't even like take care of the people around us, kind of right. thing, right? Uh, or like I think that's even exemplified in this movie with uh, Miss Lonely Hearts mm-hmm. when. Like they see her possibly going to kill herself, but they're more yeah. they're more worried about the person who's already dead, the wife, mm-hmm. than the person who could die, right? They're like, oh, like look at her, oh she's taking a bunch of pills, maybe she'll kill herself, right? But they don't actually do anything about it, and I I, I thought that was kind of a, an interesting thing to add to the movie. Yeah, it's like like is like a ticking clock element element, or is like yeah, it's very weird why they why they have that. I'm gonna say like it's like oh no. She won't take enough to do that. Okay, we can, like, they have it in there. They, 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 they kind of toss, toss, toss to, to the wayside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very weird. Uh, 
Yeah, and and you know, I, have you seen the movie Rope? Uh, no, I've not. I know it's kind of based off of Leopold and Loeb, kind of. Mm-hmm. It, it, but so what I find interesting is how Hitchcock uses sex or like uses things to like represent sex. So like in in that movie, Rope, it's it's very clearly sort of a a, a way of talking about gay sex, but with murder being the stand-in for sex. Right. In this movie, it seems like voyeurism is kind of the stand-in for sex. Yeah. And uh, I think that's that's a very fascinating thing. I mean, like, obviously it's through the Hayes Code era, but it, it, it fits into almost, again, our current era where, you know, like, let's say, like, like Tinder and stuff like that, we are almost, like more attracted to the voyeurism than actually being in a relationship and actually having like intimacy because uh, like we're so caught up with options that we're like seeing that, you know, maybe you won't get in a relationship or, or uh, stuff like that. I don't know. Or like, or or like you just want someone's attention instead of like, like, or like people like, or they they want the the notification or the or the or the attention instead of actually getting to like know someone, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it's quite interesting in in that sense. But another thing that I think is is very interesting. I want to go back to well, I'm going to go back to Mulvey because the, again, this is one of the most influential papers uh, in cinema. And what I thought was really interesting was, so Lisa is like very well off, right? Yeah. She's super rich, and. It almost seems like Hitchcock is betraying that her wealth is a cause of like castration anxiety for Stuart, like for yeah. uh, uh, like like. I, and I thought that was really interesting. I, I don't. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, or like, or like, yeah, or like some 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 some, some form of like emasculation, right? Of like mm-hmm. her being like. Because she's pretty self self sufficient, doesn't need like she doesn't need him, right? No, like she could date anyone anyone she wants to. She could like she could go sleep around with people who can can get it up for her, like all all these things of like like she doesn't need him, but like I I, I that makes him feel emasculated, like or it, it could. Mm-hmm. Like and, yeah, yeah. And, and like again, like where I think that this movie is actually not quite as black and white as Mulvey says, is that, like, the women here are all very different. Like, yeah. from, like, a from a typical male gaze standpoint, be like, all women need to be the same. Like, they all need to, like, be, like, mm-hmm. doing what I want them to do kind of thing. But, mm-hmm. like, Lisa is very different from, like, Stella or from, like, the women that we see, like, in, in the back, uh, back rear window. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that isn't necessarily like a feminist thing that Hitchcock is doing, but I think it is like a unique thing for that era where women were so often just seen as like a damsel in distress or something like that. And like by the end of the movie, we're seeing uh, Lisa in pants, which, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know (laughs) at that time and place was a a big deal. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I just think that's kind of interesting. I also like how in the climax, it's not Jimmy Stewart doing the action. He he's the one that needs to be saved. Actually, mm-hmm. like when it comes to like being boots on the ground, like 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 Lisa breaks into Thorwald's place and gets the information they need, and 
like her getting captured is kind of what, what leads to the arrest in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like uh, uh, he, he he complains about, oh, like Lisa, you'll be so useless if we're going to the jungle or whatever. And <laughs> throughout this movie, he's way more useless than Lisa is or yeah. uh, even Stella, right? Like, like St- Stella is like doing stuff too that he's not doing. So yeah, yeah I think that's a good point to, to bring up. Yeah, obviously, like not to, like dis- disability him. Like he's he's in a wheelchair because he broke his leg doing doing something stupid. <laughs> I, I, I mean, when there's a car race, I love to jump out into the middle of the track. I love it. There's nothing bad bad that, that, that can happen there. <laughs> but you got a good shot. It is a good like, shot. Great, great, great shot. I will it, say it's it's objectively a great photography like a photo. Yeah, <laughs> man, uh, it, it's wild. But um, yeah. I don't know what I think is is interesting about this film as well. I, I, I keep on coming back to the voyeurism because, like, that is what this movie is ultimately about, and it kind of shows how like everyone is an object under capitalism, right? Right? Like, like, like in a way, we're all commodities, not not necessarily just people. Like, we're we're commodities to be to you know, like we we barter in order to get like sex or or attention or or whatnot and i don't know i i I think that's one of the reasons why i love this movie so much is because it does a good job of i guess just showing how like the human body is i don't know less under capitalism there's a really interesting book uh i forget the, the exact name i think it's called like something like uh, sex is bu- uh, better under socialism or something like that true uh, as basically like the idea that like when the body isn't commodified it can truly be free which is just so much better for humanity and i think that uh well you know we're, we're, we're a leftist podcast that i think that uh this can be a good example of why capitalism is bad for humans and mm. why <laughs> like you know you're never going to get rid of like people being voyeuristic but mm. when when the commodification of our bodies is gone i think i think things will just be better but yeah ideally hopefully. yeah um from a, on a more technical note i, I just want to say that there's some amazing images in this film one of my the one that has like stuck with me forever is just the the image of a dark window with a cigarette lit that you just see pulsating, yeah. like that. That's like truly one of the most horrific things. Uh, another shot that I really like is uh, after Lisa is uh, caught um, by the police for you know breaking into uh, into the apartment of uh, Mister Thorwald, um, and he discovers that oh like she took the wedding ring and he looks up. And he breaks the fourth wall and looks us dead in the eyes. Oh, I love that. It's I amazing, it. right? Yeah, Thorold looking into the camera, literally, yep. like, both, both cameras are just so good. Yep. I love that. Rain Burr is such a big presence. He's um, amazing in this movie. Like, I, he's a Canadian actor, also, like, potentially bi or gay. Mm-hmm. Like, had a had a male partner for, for like, the last many years of his life. Um, solid actor. Um mm-hmm. And like, I mean, he, he was like a TV guy before this. Interesting, yeah. But yeah, he's he's amazing. All the acting in this movie is is really good. I definitely say that like he's a standout, and so is uh, uh, Thelma Ritter as uh, oh, Stella. I, Stella, so I think, really dry like makes this movie enjoyable. 
Is that why you named your, your, your cat Stella? It is actually a part of it. Uh, not going to oh, lie. Right. It, 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 it's, it's both from that. It's from Stell McCarthy because uh, my past cat was named Ringo. And uh, I, I want to keep the, 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 the Beatles. Beatles theme going on. Yeah. Um, also, like, Stella from, uh, I believe that's a street uh, car named Desire. Right. Um, and then uh, also Stella from, uh, who is a dog in Modern Family, which I was obsessed with at the time. So yes. uh, th- th- there's many reasons why <laughs> Stella, my cat, Stella, is named yeah. Stella. But yes, this is part of the reason. But I, I-, I do think that she is uh, a standout in this role. For sure. I also really liked the soundtrack. I thought like that having the in-film soundtrack being like the, the, the backyard uh, pianist was uh, really Oh, yes. Kate, having, having the diegetic sound was amazing. It, it really added to the atmosphere of this film. Yeah. And I, I think it uh, it really shows what a master Hitchcock was in, in cinema in, in creating, like, an atmosphere. Not not just a movie, but, like, a whole atmosphere around it. And, yeah, yeah it really well. So, so, so immersive. So good. Yeah. But, yeah, ultimately, I love this movie so much. Uh, and even, even if you, you do... Reduce it just to a example of male gaze. I still think it's important from a film theory perspective. So, uh, yes. I, 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 but I, I, I would say it's not just uh, an example of the male gaze. I think it is a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. And even even Laura Mulvey has kind of like, you know backtracked on on this original essay. But if you haven't read uh, Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema, I would recommend reading it. It is an important work. It you know helped create the idea of the male gaze and hopefully uh get rid of it i mean her 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 way of uh her remedy kind of was from a marxist perspective she wanted a more uh, materialistic uh dialectical cinema which you know kind of was happening at the time like uh like she was writing after like the you know 1968 revolts and stuff like that so uh like they were trying to move towards like a more like Italian neoliberal, uh, not liberalism, realism, and like like a more more real cinema, like so like something like uh, uh, Jean Dielman, like those kind of movies where it's yep. it's it's more real, like you're seeing things from like uh, a, an objective place, not like a subjective male gaze. But I mean, yeah, uh, it, it's just interesting. I, I'm taking a film theory class, so that's probably why I'm a little bit more passionate about it right now. Yep. So yeah, anyways, that's. Rear window. Do you have anything else to say before uh, we get into our review in the letterbox game? I do not. It, uh, really, I, I know one thing. It's cool to see like a masterwork, but by a master, right? Like, cause mm-hmm. like this is that, that definitely. I think most people would would this is probably Hitchcock's best film. Mm-hmm. Like, most people would, I, I think, and like they're, 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 there's a reason why, right? Like it's it's just cool to see someone at the top of their game make a really good film. That yep. is considered considered their, their masterwork, right? It's just very cool. Their opus, if, if you will. Mm-hmm. So yeah, solid, love it. Well, there you go. What's your review of this movie? Uh, oh, two thumbs all the way up, up to the top build, to top to top floor. That that's me too. Two thumbs up. Great movie. All right, now why don't we get into the letterbox game? You are uh, you've won the past two. I know. I'm on streak. So look at you go. Let's see if you're going to get it this week. So are you ready? Always. All right. Number one, we are some creepy, perverted bastard uh, cinephiles, but we do have our fun, don't we? Number two, 
Okay, but now what's happening outside the front window? <laughs> number three, Jeff be thinking he's Batman. And number four, I want Grace Kelly to break into my house and steal all of my possessions. <sighs> True. Um... Okay, isn't it? Which one? number two. You think that one's me? Yeah. You are correct. Let's go! I thought that was a good one. I thought I was going to stump you with that. It, it was. It, it, I was, yeah, it was good. It was kind of a guess, but it was kind of, yeah. Well, I think this is your best streak you've ever had. So, I, I, Yeah, I'm pretty sure I, I, I have had more than two in a row. So. I, I feel so like we used to, like, if you get a certain amount in a row, I feel so like you usually get a prize or something. What money do we do we have? We have well, okay, not money. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any money. Something, I get to else. I get to pick the next episode. I don't know. Yeah, you get to do some. You get to choose a guest of your choosing. I don't know. Oh no! <laughs> uh, if you, if you get to five, you, you get something. I don't know what, but you, you get something. <laughs> okay. All right. TBD. Yes. Uh, why don't you give us a recommendation? Oh, um, okay, I'm not sure if I recommended it last week. Um, okay, like, did, did I recommend Anatomy of a Murder? I'm pretty sure I did. Um, I don't think it, you did, did you? Okay, well, now do I, I'll do two things. Um, Criterion Channel is great, because at the first of the month, they, they always ta- they always say, what's what, what's leaving at the end of the month? And yep. I love that. So last month, I'm like, okay, I saw Anatomy of a Murder. Um, and Westworld there. I'm like, okay. So I watched Anatomy of a Murder. Mm-hmm. Great film. Solid film. I love like a big budget. Also star- starring Jimmy Stewart. Like a big budget law, law movie. Yeah. Like, like, like a whole movie dedicated to a trial. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's so good. Um, long movie. Doesn't feel it. Um, and then um, also recommend Westworld. Uh, Michael, Michael Crichton, who wrote, wrote the book and then directed the film. Hmm. Uh, it's like obviously he's made it into a HBO show a few, a few years back. Yeah. Um, but the movie's pretty solid. It's obviously like less like serialized TV. Like, it, but like it's kind of just set in the one location. Focuses more on like one area, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Yul Brenner's great. Um, very scary. He's a very good cowboy. Um, very scary as a robot guy. Um, but is that one still on? Is that one still on Criterion or is it? Sally, no, it, yeah. it, it, it left a couple days ago. I think it's on the um, Prime though. Okay, yeah, it's it's great. If you have access to it, watch it. It's pretty short, pretty quick. Um, it's solid, and you can kind of tell like he's laying the, the, the groundwork for like Jurassic Jurassic Park. Very mm. similar formula of oh yeah, there's a great theme park that everyone that people can go to. But like, also, then something goes wrong. Artificially made things that can go wrong. What, what a crazy idea that something artificially made, not made, not made by HIPAA humans, could, could possibly go, go wrong. It's wild. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, great film. Nice. That's a that's a great that's a great recommendation. I do really want to watch Westworld, like the movie, and uh, I'm sad I missed it from the Criterion, but I'm sure it'll go back on at some point. Uh, my recommendation, staying in the vein of Hitchcock. Uh, is Psycho. I recently uh, watched that movie for the first time. It's very good. Highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- it is twisty and turny, and I think uh, I think you would enjoy it. Have you seen Psycho? Yes, it's it's been a while, but I've I watched it. Like, I think when I was in high school or something. Nice. Yeah, it's it's just a good spooky time, and 
I, I am a fan of that, especially, I mean, Halloween's past, but it still feels kind of like spooky time, you know, it's mm-hmm. here in, in Winnipeg and I'm sure in Morton, it's, you know, snowy and cold outside, you don't really feel like going out in the slush and the cold, so it's a good time to cozy up and watch a little spooky movie, in my spooky. opinion. So, so, so true, King. Yeah. But anyways, that's been our episode this week. Thank you for listening. And tune in next time when we talk about something. Goodbye now. <laughs>